morning. We're searching for serenity. And we're using the serenity prayer as a pattern to try to understand some issues that would increase or decrease the serenity with which we deal with the realities of life, deal with the things that we would like to change but can't, things that we should change, and you know, with the wisdom to be able to dif- distinguish the one from the other. In the beginning of our search, we discovered that uh, to be technical, God, according to the Bible, doesn't give serenity. He gives the grace to accept with serenity the things that can't be changed, which is a little bit different. Um, This was the original wording of the serenity prayer. Give us the grace to accept with serenity the things we can't change, courage to change the things that should be changed, and to wisdom to distinguish the one from the other. And that sense of give us grace to accept with serenity fits in better, actually, with biblical instructions. Um, God gives, we started off looking at the faith, God gives grace to the humble. Humility in the Bible is not being self-effacing. It's not, oh, come on, no, it wasn't, no, come on, don't, ah, don't, don't call attention to that. That's not humility biblically. Humility biblically is, is something that you really don't want to experience. It's the inability to have what you want, do what you want, or feel what you want. Humility is the inability to leverage what we have to get what we want, do what we want, or feel what we want to feel. Humility is powerlessness. And that's not a fun thing to experience when we would like to be able to exert influence to move ourselves into a different place, but we can't do that. That's what the Bible describes as humility, and God gives grace to the humble, the process of learning to live with the tension of unfulfilled desires and unmet expectations relative to experiencing grace and therefore experiencing serenity is non-negotiable, which is to say that if you've developed a capacity to accept with serenity the things that can't be changed, you've walked a hard road to learn it. You've had to experience some loss had to experience some difficult things. You wanted to be able to influence things to change, and you weren't able to. You had to hang on to the reality of your concerns and try to hang on to God at the same time, and you learned to do that, to be honest about your concerns and honest about his commitments and use those two handholds to walk through. Um, we moved on the week after that to deal with courage to make needed changes. Mark talked about that. Last week, J.C. talked about the wisdom to be able to distinguish that which could or should be changed from that which can't. We have to just accept. This morning, we find ourselves in new territory. Uh, For some of us, we thought the serenity prayer ended here. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And if you turn over in your worship folder, the full text of the serenity prayer is found on the back side. It was written by Reinhold Niebuhr. Let me just read that for us. God, give us the grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed. Courage to change the things which should be changed. And the wisdom to distinguish 
the one from the other, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time is a critical, crucial addition. The serenity prayer is well known in recovery circles where people are dealing for from recovery from addiction. Uh, in the early stages of recovery from any addiction, there's a strength of conviction that comes along with the feeling a long times that the addictive problem has disappeared. The opportunity in the community to be a person who helps people to do the fifth step of the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, which is to do a fearless moral inventory as part of step four. And step five, find somebody to express that to. And what they say on the far side of someone having unburdened themselves, talking about what they resent and have been unable to deal with and different issues in their life, what ends up happening, the big book says, that um, the, in the wake of having done that, the feeling that the drink problem has disappeared will often come strongly. We feel we are on the broad highway walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. That's the way it feels. There is a relief in the early stages of recovery from addiction. It feels like individuals are trying to feel their need to do the addictive behavior, whatever it is. And it just isn't there. It's just not there as much. I don't feel like I want to do that. I think the problem has disappeared. This is the way it seems in early stages of recovery, and some call it a honeymoon period. Um, when the need, desire resurfaces, it feels discouraging, to say the least. I think any of us who have dealt with a behavior that we thought that we were past, and then there it comes again. I thought I was on the far side of it. I thought I wasn't going to have to deal with this anymore. I thought I was going to have to fight with this temptation anymore. And, and it went away for a while. And I was convinced that I was on the far side. I had arrived. And here it is again. They have a, it feels deeply discouraging. They have this practice, I've heard, in order to break the will of prisoners. Uh, probably in different times where prison treatment was as wasn't as humane, not regulated as it is today. Anyways, what they used to do, and, and when they put a prisoner in filthy prison garb, stay in that uniform day after day after day, sometimes without any toilet facilities, and can imagine what it's like to have to stay in this suit of filth. And what they'll do is say, you know what, you've served your time. And now we're going to let you go. And the first thing we're going to do, we're going to get you a shower. How'd that feel? How'd that feel? And we're going to take that prison clothes and we're going to give you a suit of clothes. What do you think of that? What do you think of that? And then what happens, they do that, give the person a shower, put the clothes on. And, and then what they do, give me that suit of clothes. And you throw these things back on. And they do that to break the will. 
person has experienced the hope, you know, past it. I think it's gone, and and to be reinserted into the difficulty just feels so crippling. Um, it's the way it is in recovery. Um, the discouragement that we experience drains us of the courage to live a day at a time. I'll make a statement. It takes courage to live a day at a time. It takes courage to live a day at a time. It takes some mental discipline. It takes a number of things we'll see. Um, here's where the encouragement of those who, for instance, in AA, who will listen to somebody talk about, I, I'm, tell you what, <laughs> drink problem is gone. You'll have some safely AA individuals who will come alongside that, that young man or young woman and they'll, they'll keep an eye on him. And when he comes in and his eyes are not as clear, his gait is not as spry, he'll come alongside and say, listen, man, I know exactly the way you feel. It's in the same place. It was in a place I thought I was past it, came back in it, and 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 it's hard, isn't it? You know what? Maybe we can walk together. You know what that's called? A thing. Finding a person who says, I don't know how I'm going to do it. Somebody coming alongside say, you know what that's called? Encouragement. Encouragement. Somebody who understands What's happening is willing to come alongside a person and to continue to walk with them on the road that is best, truly best for them. Um, and individuals, that's why it's called the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's not just the principles that you learn. It's the fact that you get to apply the principles with someone else. It's not possible to walk a difficult path alone. can't do it. If you're going to walk a day at a time, live a day at a time, that's going to take energy. The energy it's going to take is going to require you to be walking with someone or a group of individuals. You can't walk a difficult path alone. Um, need encouragement if it's walking in recovery or walking with God. Need encouragement, um, especially when experiencing chronic difficulties. I'm the oldest of five kids. Sometimes I wish I'd had an older brother or sister. There's a picture of me in middle school. I wasn't the sharpest relative to dress. I was not the sharpest knife in the drawer. So here's the picture. Here's the picture. I'm at this dance or something like that, have a suit coat on, very thin tie. Now, everything's fine from about here to here. Right about here is where the problem begins. I'm wearing white pants, and the white pants are so high that you can see the bands in my white socks. Now, if this is not cool, white socks are not cool. I didn't know Jeff Jarvis. I was on the bus. We were in, we had to take a bus to school maybe three miles and so um, I got off with him and we were doing something he says Mike lose the socks we don't we don't wear white socks anymore Mike get a pair of yeah I didn't know 
and uh, it was it was nice. Uh, I wish I had an older brother or sister. You know, spiritually, we do have an older brother or sister, the nation of Israel. In the Old Testament, we have the accounts of our older brothers and sisters who have walked through difficult things. We get to examine their footprints in the wilderness. You know, you've seen the thing, the footprints in the sand. We get to see that. And we get to see God carrying them. We get to learn from them. That's why the Old Testament is instructive for us. But we don't just see footprints in the Old Testament made by our older brothers and sisters. We see heel marks in the sand. Heel marks in the sand. Places they were resistant. They didn't want to go. They were saying, I'm done. I'm out. And, and so we can learn from them why we resist God. We refuse to live a day at a time. We say, ah, I'm done. Let's look what it says. Um, the writer of the book of Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians. Written probably 15 years or so after Jesus left the scene. And maybe a decade and a half, maybe two decades, somewhere in there. Um, here's what he says. See to it, brothers that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first but he says, let's encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of us may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness, which would lead us to assume then, why do we become hardened by sin's deceitfulness? Why do we become unresponsive to God? That's what hardness means. It's something brittle, something unresponsive. Why do our hearts become unresponsive? They lack something. And it's not discipline. You know what it is? I've been describing it. Encouragement. It says, encourage one another as long as it's called today, lest any of you be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So what is it that causes us to be hardened? A lack of encouragement. And is and it's let us encourage one another daily as long as it's called today. We need a regular dose of encouragement to be responsive, to have the energy to live a day at a time, especially when we're walking a difficult road. Let's talk about discouragement and encouragement. Let's talk about the sources of discouragement. Look what it says, Hebrews 10. He reminds them of the way it was in the beginning of their decision to follow Christ. We're in Jerusalem now. Jesus passes off the scene somehow, somewhere in the late 20s, maybe 30s, something like that. We don't know exactly when he died, somewhere in that, probably more 26, 27 A.D., something like that. And then in the, in the following years, um, those first Christians were Jewish Christians. And in Jerusalem, when you made a decision to embrace Christ as the Messiah, you didn't have a bunch of people clapping. What ended up happening, you were ushered out of the synagogue, which was the center of Jewish life. It's where you socialized. It's where you did business. It's the hub of your existence. And if you became a Christian as a Jew, you were not welcomed into the synagogue. And a number of things, but he, he reminds them 
of what happened at first. Look what it says. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution, and other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison, joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. By the way, that's one thing that takes a little bit of the terror or sadness from a Memorial Day, isn't it? Better and lasting possessions. Those who have gone before, who knew Christ, are experiencing better things. Lasting things. goes on. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith, and if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. What we're asked to do is to continue forward, to not shrink back, to keep living and doing what we can to live with our concerns and live with his commitments a day at a time. By the time this letter was written, some of these Jewish Christians had been following Christ for at least a decade and a half. In the beginning, there was a lot of energy in their newfound faith. That's why, that's how it is when things are beginning. Uh, insult and persecution, psh, no problem. <laughs> no problem. Remember what it was like? I was, I was home a couple weeks ago. And, uh, Travel there, I remember, with my mother. Uh, you get to a place, you, get to, you grow up a little bit, and you want to be really irritating. And so your mother takes a swat at you. And what, so what do you, if you do if you really want to be irritating? You can do one of two things. Some of, some of you acted as if you had been hit by a machete. You know, just you get this little thing, and you just fall. Some of us didn't do that. We did this. What is that, a mosquito? What is that? That's all you got? That's it. Don't. That's not a good thing to do. Um, Insult and persecution, no problem. That's the way it was. It wasn't a problem at first. Accepting the confiscation of property, bring it on. For a year, they could do that. But then one year turned into two. Turned into five. Turned into ten. Turned into fifteen. Would you agree with me? Disappointment is one thing, and chronic disappointment is quite another. Do you agree with me? It's one thing to deal with back problems for a week. It's another thing to deal with it for five years, ten years. It's one thing to deal with disappointment when it's a fleeting thing. It's another thing when you're hit by wave after wave after wave. After wave of disappointment, would you agree with me? That's a very different thing. And what ends up happening and what happened to these Jewish Christians, it eroded their, it eroded their devotion. The Rainbow Coalition days of everybody giving up their property, they passed away. There were several persecutions, several famines. Jewish Christians were forced out of Jerusalem 
leaving behind their livelihood and their neighborhood, moved into Gentile-based cities where they were not accepted by Gentiles because they were Jews, were not accepted by Jews because they were Christians. They were persona non grata. Try to get a job? Okay, maybe I can hang on, but then there's my son and he's growing up. There's my daughter, and she's the daughter of a person who is not accepted either by Gentile or Jew. And now they have to walk down, and they have to work in a Gentile field. I have not just consigned myself to a very meager existence. Now I'm consigning them to that as well. How would you feel day after day? There they go. It was one thing when it just impacted you could bear up under it, but now you just don't know if you can go on another day. Isn't that the way it is with disappointment? You feel what it feels like today to be dealing with what you're dealing with. You feel the difficulty of it. And you know what we do then? We figure out how much energy we have to change things. Can I change the way I feel about it? I can't. Can I change the way people, what people are doing that caused me to be in this situation? Can't do that either. That's when disappointment becomes very difficult. I feel the, I feel it, but I can't make my desires different, and I can't make their determinations different. I can't change my will or their won't. And you know what we end up doing then? We end up taking out the calendar at that point. How in the world am I going to deal with this for a year, two years? You know what we start to do? We don't live a day at a time. We start to add them up. I multiply my pain, what I'm going through, time the number of years, and the more you multiply it out, what ends up happening? Forget it. Forget it. Can't do it. No use. I, there's no way in the world I'm going to be able to continue to sustain this level for this long, it's, it's, it's kind of a natural thing to be able to take things a day at a time and to be able to live. That's a very challenging thing. That's what these Jewish Christians, that's what they were experiencing. They did, I think I told you about this, they did this experiment. It's called Learn Powerlessness. It's really brutal. They take this cage and they attach electrodes to both ends of the cage and put a kind of a fence you can jump over in the middle of it. So there is this cage then, electrified. You can't get out of it. And there are electrodes for both fields on either side of this partition are electrified. And an animal being put in this cage can jump over. Okay, so they put the animal, the dog, in this cage. And then they electrify one side of the cage. And what's going to happen? Jumps over. And then they electrify this side of the cage. And what happens? Jump over. What happens when they electrify both? What happens when they electrify both? What ends up happening? That dog will just lie down and accept the shock without even moving. I can't get out of it. That's called learned powerlessness. 
They're in powerlessness. No way I can get out of this thing. Absorb it. Give up. And you know what? Even when they, they have to retrain the dog to jump back over, when we experience a lack of energy and courage, it's very, well, encouragement is difficult, isn't it? Discouragement is tough to deal with. To get the strength to get out of bed again and face the things I need to face today. Sometimes you don't want to get out of bed. Hard to get out of bed. Uh, that's the way with these Jews where they lost heart. Like the dog in the cage, cumulative disappointments led them to believe that it's no use. God's not actively involved with me for good anyways. It's difficult to hold chronic pain and God's commitments at the same time. We tend to let go one of the other. We let go of hurt. And some of us hold on to God, but we're very, well, how are things fine? They're not fine. When we let go of hurt and hang on to hope, we become hypocritical. Some of us don't do that. We hang on to the hurt, but let go of hope. And we, dog in the cage, lose courage. Um, that's why he says, I don't think it could be done alone. If you're in a difficult road, physically, socially, mentally, I don't think it's possible to walk a difficult road alone. At least that's what the writer seems to suggest. Again, in Hebrews 3, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence that we had at first. This is not a sprint. Christianity is not easy. It is not an easy life. It's a marathon. It's something that we can't walk through alone. We need one another. That's what the writer is suggesting here. Um, daily encouragement is necessary to fuel a long obedience in the same direction. Um, this was a problem that the writer of the book of Hebrews was combating. Look what it says in the next passage. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward loving good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let us not give up meeting together. It's not talking about somebody sleeping in on Sunday. That's not what he's saying. Giving up meeting together is not not going to church on Sunday. It is going to the synagogue on Saturday. That's let us not give up meeting together. It's people who are saying, I am done. I'm going to go back to Jerusalem. I'm going to go, I'm, excuse me, go back to Judaism because at least I can have a decent life. I can get a job for my son. And God will have to understand that what the writer is saying, don't do it. Encourage one another daily. But you know what happened in this church, in this Jewish Christian church in the early centuries, is that the ones who walked out, the ones who remained, Put up their noses. No, he couldn't cut it. Wimp. They not only turned up their noses, they turned their backs. And what the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying, encourage them. Hey, hang in there, man. Eternity's coming. 
Come on, let's walk together. No, don't do it. Don't do it. There's no life there. Let's walk together, just like it happens in AA. Let's, let's walk together. I know exactly how you feel. That's what he's trying. He's trying to get them to move from this to this. Fractures. That's what happened. That's what happened to this community. And that's why those people lost the energy to live a day at a time. It takes energy to live a day at a time. Um, the sources of discouragement, difficult circumstances, and this kind of response. It's hard. Sources of encouragement. Um, what it says, in your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, this is a word of encouragement, by the way. <laughs> My son, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. They dismissed a biblical teaching what they did? They paged through the Bible, said, as long as I do what God wants and I obey him, my life is going to be good, right? Right? You make godly decisions, and God will reward godly decisions with a good and comfortable life, right? And by that, other people will be able to see, if I do good things, if they do good things, they'll be rewarded just like I'll be rewarded. Is that the way it works? All depends what book you read. Not this book. You can't get that from the Bible. That's what he's saying. You've forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. See, they started to feel it's one thing to feel the pain. It's another thing to feel guilty because you're in the pain to begin with. You understand what I mean? So you're bearing the burden of a difficulty. And then in some religious circles, you not only get the pain of the difficulty, but you get an added burden of guilt to go along with it. You go in with one load, come out with two. Well, if you really had been doing right, you wouldn't have been in a place where you'd be suffering. Really? You're going to get that from Jesus' life, Paul's life, biblically? What it says the Lord disciplines those he loves. Endure hardship is discipline. It's a difficult thing. Again, I'm not going to jump up and down. I'm not crazy about this. But it's the truth. You know what's interesting? God does not take strangers into the wilderness. The wilderness is a place that you're exposed to unmet needs and unfulfilled expectations. It's a place where you experience hunger, a nomadic existence. God does not take strangers into the wilderness, only sons and daughters. Why? Why does he do that? To teach them to hold on to this and to hold on to him at the same time. To teach them how to be sources of encouragement. Um, God disciplines his children. In the Old Testament, and again, would you imagine that it would have been confusing? There's a lot of places in the Bible, well, what happened to Job? You know, he, he had a difficult turn, did the right thing, and God blessed him. So, so 
have a tendency to feel that that's the way it's going to go. You might suffer for a season. But you know what's happened to these Hebrew Christians? They're wondering when the season's over. That's what they're wondering. Okay, I became a Christian in 27, 28, 29 A.D., and I thought that Jesus was going to come back any moment. He seemed to indicate that. And then James was beheaded. And then the persecutions hit. And then the famines hit. And here I am a decade and a half later. And I still don't have a good job. And now my kids don't have good jobs. I don't know if I can do this anymore. Can you understand that? Difficult it is to live a day at a time? How difficult it was for them? Of course we can. What he does, he points out places in the Bible where it says, it's difficult, but God hasn't abandoned you. Endure hardship as discipline. That's tough. That's tough. Unrealistic expectations. I'm not going to try to get you to jump up and down. Because, again, pain is pain. Some people say, God, bring pain in my life. Come on, will you? No. No. It's fake. Unrealistic expectations drain our capacity to live a day at a time. If you are walking with Jesus, in truth, you have some things in your life that you would rather not have. But uh, everybody undergoes discipline. And if we are not, we're illegitimate children. If everything in your life is fine, everything in your life is not fine. God disciplines those he loves, brings them in places, painful places. And in that place, we can continue to walk if we walk together. Say the truth about this, the truth about that. Um, you ever pray this prayer, God use me? God use me? Want to be used? I don't think you'd be here if you didn't want to be at some level, really. I think you want to be used. What does it take to be usable? It says, last verse, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. That word in comfort, it's the word translated encouragement. You know what encouragement literally means? It's from two Greek words. Para means alongside. And kaleo means call. Encouragement literally means to call alongside. I'm going to show you what it means. Devin, can I use you? I want to say, let's, let's have you in place. Devin is, let's say Devin is dealing with some things. He's tired. I can see he's tired. Um, so here's what, here's what encouragement looks like. Hey, Devin, come here. Come here. I call him. Call him alongside. Tell you what, I see where you're going. You know, maybe it would be a little bit easier if we walked together. You know, I know you're going from here to there. So I use my influence to try to keep him on the road that's best for him. This is not encouragement. 
Yeah, you know what, Devin, you're not doing that. You know what this is? Accountability. This is accountability. And accountability is not encouragement. You know what, Devin, yeah, you know, your quiet times are shot, Devin. Yeah, so if you take care of those, maybe you'll have a better life. Um, maybe if you give a little bit more and you know what, you've got this desire and that. Yeah, I'll tell you what, yeah. Um, accountability is done in front of somebody where you judge them. Encouragement is done alongside. You get the difference? We're both going in the same direction. This is encouragement. Um, and that's that's the image of encouragement. Um, it says that God our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all encouragement. God is the God of all encouragement. What God does very well is encourage. And again, we've got to understand, encouragement is not accountability, neither is it comfort. Remember, I like the story, um, uh, the Lion King. Thought about this more. Remember uh, Simba, right? And he goes through this thing, and then there's uh, you know, some lousy things happen. Scar, not a good guy. And then, um, so, Timon and Pumbaa. You know, so he has them out in the out in the jungle eating bugs, and you know all those, you know, he's you know, down in those bugs, and and they would be comfort, maybe, right? Not a lot of expectations, but you remember Rafiki? Remember Rafiki? Did Rafiki comfort Simba? You know, I, I, I'm just you don't know who you are, you know, something he sounded. That wasn't too bad, was it, though? You know, that's a scale of 1 to 10. Okay, thank you, thank you. Okay, thank you. Okay. That, that, was, that was pretty meager applause, I'll tell you that one. That's what that was. <laughs> remember, he, remember he, he whacks him over the head. You don't know who you are. You are your father's boy. You are your father's boy. And he saw his father's face in his face. And what did he do? He went back into a difficult place to do the things that he was destined to do. Rafiki, that's encouragement. That's encouragement. And it says God is the God of all encouragement. That's what God is really good at. Coming alongside, keeping you on the road that's best. It doesn't feel comforting. It doesn't feel like it feels like. In fact, that's why Jesus came. But Jesus came so we could know he walked in our shoes. Uh, goes on and says, he comforts us, encourages us in all our troubles. And I'm going to, I'm going to change the word comfort to encouragement there because it, it's really a better translation. Who encourages us in all our troubles so that we can encourage those in any trouble with the encouragement we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ Our encouragement overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your encouragement and salvation. If we are encouraged, it is for your encouragement, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our encouragement. You want to be usable? You know what it takes to be usable? According to this passage, having something real to give to someone when they're distressed. And how do you have that real thing? Because you lived a day at a time. 
with somebody else, walk through a difficult thing, neither letting go of the hope or the hurt, holding on to both with people walking alongside, and you can get through something. You can. You can. And then you know what ends up happening? You find somebody, and you know the look. They might have thought that they were through with this difficulty. Maybe they became a Christian. Somebody sold them a bill of goods. Now your life is on the up and up, and you you keep an eye on them. You know to be patient. It's not going to be on the up and up forever. You start to notice discouraged. And then you come alongside, and you've got something real because you've been through some things. You start to open your heart to them, and they start to understand that if you're walking a difficult road, it's easier to walk with someone who has been on the road and who has something real to share. Do you have something real from him? Because you've been honest enough to hold on to the hurt and hold on to the hope. Have you experienced stuff from him? You know what it's like? to continue to have to walk a day at a time. There's some people that need it, you know. You can't push yourself into their life. Paul's trying to, the writer of Hebrews, he's trying to get that type of thing so that we learn to walk through those seven. Worship team, come on up. God, make me usable. Usability, I would define this as Usability, the, um, the ability to walk alongside those who are falling behind. Usability, the ability to walk beside those who are falling behind to be able to observe them and to help them live a day at a time by walking alongside them. Um, thank you for encouragement. And it comes through your word that would make room for those expressions of your care for us in the midst of difficulties, but just your faithfulness to us. Make room for that. That's encouraging. And that we would also uh, walk with people, experience not only the encouragement of your word, but the encouragement of your people. Help us be those who have something to share with others and willing to come alongside Help them move down the the road a day at a time. In Jesus' name, amen.